All right, welcome to another episode of the You Thought Sports Podcast, joined by the usual crew. Of course, everybody's here. Everybody made it. Everybody made some time in their schedule to make it. Wyatt's here, Aiden's here, Lucas is here, and Bart is here. Let's just jump right into the news we missed. Um, we're going to start off with some Team USA basketball. A lot of losses, actually. So lost to Nigeria, which everybody panicked, kind of panicked about. Then lost mm-hmm. to Australia, which everybody kind of did kind of panic about after that. Bradley Beal is in virus protocols, and I believe Team USA is now looking for a replacement. This is the first time that Team USA lost back-to-back exhibition games since professional players were allowed to play back in 1992. Any thoughts? Quickly. Yikes. Yeah, I'm still not super worried. Yeah, yeah they'll yeah. be fine. I'm not super worried either, but the like, mm. do y'all see the like exchange between Greg, Greg Popovich and the reporter about, like, <laughs> like them usually blowing out teams in these games like the reporter asked about that he was like we don't usually blow these games out which like mm-hmm. in 2016 they won by an average of like 40 points in their five games mm-hmm. was like Popovich, yeah. you yeah. usually do like <laughs> Popovich is kind of annoying in interviews in my yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> also like losing to australia is something that still could legitimately happen because mm-hmm. Australia is a complete contender, so it's like that one shouldn't have yeah, been a blowout, even without so, Ben Simmons. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But with Matisse Thybul, yeah. so with, you with get ben a good Simmons, difference. They'd be yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh. So I decided to throw in some tennis news in here as well. Novak yes. Djokovic won Wimbledon, tying him with Roger Federer, who we saw in Charleston, by the way, and Rafael Nadal <laughs> with twenty Grand Slam wins. So if he wins the U.S. Open. He'll be the first man to complete a calendar Grand Slam since 1969 and the first tennis player overall since Steffi Graf did it in 1988. Uh, mm. Notably, too, this is interesting. When Steffi Graf did it in 1988, she won the calendar Grand Slam, but she also won an Olympic gold medal. So there was a big That's, debate about is well, in the tennis world, like is, mm. is Novak going to do the Olympics or save himself for the U.S. Open? I believe today he announced he is going to be doing the Olympics Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes. he's going for the the golden slam, I believe yeah, is what it's called, yeah. which is which I think is exciting. I'm, 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 I'm actually, actually going to be kind of passionate. I know I've never heard that term that. before, and I saw the golden grand slam. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So which, and also like Federer is not playing in the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the doll is like has been injured all year, right? Or he hasn't been yeah. playing in these big tournaments, so. Yeah. I know. I know. I know Nadal pretty, said he was ready good. for the op- he was going to be ready for the U.S. Open oh, okay. or something like that. But oh, that'd be wild if he took him down. In the, <laughs> yeah, that, that would, that would be wild. Yeah. <laughs> but, Why yeah. am Aiden as somebody who's more attuned to tennis than I'm? I'm I feel like sure. you know, <laughs> yeah. marginally, marginally. <laughs> what is what is Djokovic like? I feel like less included in the goat conversation. Like I feel like. Like, the narrative I've always heard is, like, Federer versus yeah. Nadal, and Djokovic is also there. Yeah, I think we, I feel like we talked gonna... about this at some point, uh, but I think it's the fact that people don't like Djokovic, because he's, okay. <laughs> he's like, he's been, he's had more controversies, he's been, um, I think, less of a, like, Federer, for example, is just this picture of just, like, nice guy, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, he's mm-hmm. easy to get behind, Nadal is kind of also of that, like, a bit more of the, you know... Um, he's a bit more of an aggressive player, but I think people mm-hmm. like him more. Djokovic has had more stuff around him, and so I think has less of a following at these big majors. You see less guys, like people outside of their country, kind of rooting for them. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so that that's why, yeah, it feels like he's kind of snuck up on this, even though he's been so dominant for the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Cool. So that that's that's pretty impressive. Um, looking. Uh, 
continuing the trend of looking at, I guess, European centered sports. Uh, Euro 2020, Italy won the Euro 2020 tournament, beating England in penalty kicks, right? Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in other news, coming back over to America, South America, Messi won his first international trophy with Argentina winning the Copa America. Is that what it was? Yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You can tell my soccer knowledge is coming through right there. Uh, yeah. and, and equally it's... as important and like athletically interesting, the Spelling Bee champion uh, this year <laughs> went to... Mm-hmm. Zalia Avantgarde, who won the spelling bee mm. competition, she also holds a couple other like Guinness Book World Records already. I've heard, which mm-hmm. is so keep that name in mind. You'll probably get an autograph now. You know. <laughs> yeah. I want to point out too. It's been a, it's been Italy's year. They won the uh, they won Eurovision and they won the Euros. Oh, oh they won Eurovision. Uh huh. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they had a like uh, in Wimbledon, the Wimbledon final was Djokovic versus some young Italian. Oh guy. yeah, I forgot what his name mm-hmm. was. So like, that could yeah. have been a crazy day for Italy. They got one <laughs> yeah. and two, but you know they'll take it. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Italy's year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. In in baseball news. The American League won the All Star Game for the eighth year in a row. I'm told, uh, yeah. which is which is pretty crazy. Uh, in the home run derby, uh, Pete Alonso won for a second time. Shohei Otani um, lost in the first round to was it Juan Soto? Am I, is yeah. that if I remember correctly? Yeah. yeah, lost in the first round, but he did put on a show. He hits the ball. He hits the ball hard. It's fun to watch him. Um, in other news, the last news we missed: Space Jam: A New Legacy releases tomorrow. <laughs> Um, uh, HBO Max is not paying me to to say this, by the way. Uh, currently sitting at last time I looked, it was forty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was uh, the original. The original yeah. Space Jam is sitting at forty four percent, two points higher. Uh, so LeBron uh, still can't beat MJ. It's dropped all the way to thirty eight percent. Oh yes, no! <laughs> can we can we check? Didn't we back in like February predict what the Rotten Tomatoes score was going to be? I'm pretty I think sure I did, said it was yeah. gonna be, I, I think I said like it. way higher than that. I was around sixty, I believe. So I, I'm, oh wow, well. yeah. This, I mean, that's not that been bad. tough. You never know. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get into some meat. The meat of the episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some MLB's uh, midseason awards. We just passed the All Star break, and half of the MLB season is in the books. Have we watched every game? Nope. Mm-hmm. Has Wyatt watched a single inning? Also, nope. But we're going to try our hand at naming some midseason midseason winners for some classic awards starting off with this one i'm going to start with you aiden i'm going to call it the old guard award the chris paul award if you want to call it that it's a veteran player that's making a big impact to the season who is it uh, i'm going buster posey from the giants um uh, sorry jared I, <laughs> I see your reaction i see this may have been a common choice there are other giants players that can be picked um but the giants are surprisingly good uh, i mean last year it was a pandemic season obviously but they were 29 and 31 the year before they were also like easily under 500 at 77 85 um not a lot of buzz coming into the season um mm. also a lot of people are saying that they had the two best teams in baseball in their division with the Dodgers right. and the Padres um and both of those teams have like lived up to their billing they've both been great mm-hmm. but neither is in first place um that belongs to the Giants a team like largely composed of veterans at this point um, their average age is 29.7, six highest in the majors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most of their starting lineup is above 30. Um, but the veterans have come through. Um, and like Brandon Crawford, for example, a guy generally known for his defense, um, has had a career year at 34. Buster Posey 
uh, who I'm going to pick as my, my veteran making a big impact. Mm-hmm. Um, he's hitting 328, also at age 34, pretty much putting up the same stats that he put up during like his prime. Um, when yeah. people forget he won MVP one year, or at least I forgot that. Um, <laughs> Low-key, yeah. like, Buster Posey should be a Hall of Famer. He has a lifetime batting average above 300. Uh, he's won MVP. He's won Rookie of the Year. He has three championships. Another thing people forget, how dominant the Giants were from, like, 2010 to 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a down year in 2019, didn't play last year. Um, but the, the dude is back. He's still still got it. It's pretty rare to see a catcher, um, given, you know, the physical demand on that position, like, be good into his mid or late 30s. But Buster Posey s- still seems to have it. Um, yeah sorry jared <laughs> what is i mean what is your pick <laughs> i you literally covered every i think every cool. bullet point i was gonna mention i also had, <laughs> had buster posey in that like he opted out mm-hmm. last year and had like yep. one of his had his worst batting average of his career in 2019 yeah. and then completely yep. turned it around this year somehow i guess one stat you didn't mention his ops is the yep. highest of his career ever at 968 cool. right now which is pretty good and yeah that's pretty just kind of like just to harp on this again like it's it's a really impressive for a catcher especially yeah. at 34 to be having as good of a season as he's having i guess another person you could throw out there is salvador perez who's having a pretty good season mm-hmm. got got in the um home run derby all-star game excuse me i believe he did he start the another all-star game catcher. as well was that correct he was in it at least i don't remember if he started or not but very impressive work by those catchers i would say yeah, yeah. um Bart, let's go over to you for the the um, the patrick mahomes award i guess we can say <laughs> player mm-hmm. most likely to dominate the next decade who do you got, Bart? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about other candidates, but for me, it seemed clear that Fernando Tatis Jr. was the correct answer here. Um, he's a beast. Third in home runs. No, excuse me. I think tied second in home runs. Third in war. He was an all-star. I know we're talking about midseason for this year, but last year he was first team all MLB, which is wild. And, like, I don't really know how calculating, like, defensive effectiveness works in baseball, but from the highlights I've seen, he's also, like, quite good uh, on that side of the ball. Um, and he's only 22. I was tempted to go with show, Showtime, but Showtime's 27. Mm-hmm. Fernando's 22. So I think he's the he's the obvious choice for me. Lucas? Yeah, I had a I had a hunch that you were going to pick Tatis, so I went with someone a little different and somebody who I think will be really good both in terms of like dominating the game and also in terms of dominating like the MLB's marketing over the next decade. I think it's Vladdy Guerrero Jr., current All-Star Game MVP. Reason one, he's young. He's also only 22. Youngest All-Star Game MVP ever. Just beat out Ken Griffey Jr. for that. So he has more than enough time. Like a decade from now, he'll be 32, which he could still be close to being in the prime of his career at that point. Two, he's having a breakout year this year, putting up some crazy good All-Star Break stats. He's batting 332 this year, and he has 28 home runs. And he's an OPS over 1,000 at 1.089, which is best in the league. So he definitely has a bright future. I know he had sort of underwhelmed a tad bit in his first couple seasons. But this year, he's been absolutely insane. So I think he has abs- the potential to just like dominate years going forward. And three, I think he's super, super marketable. His dad is a former all-star, creates a good story and narrative. So I think the combination of him showing this year that he's going to be a dominant player in the league with that sort of like marketability like hey like the father-son narrative like i think you might get a similar narrative with like that ken griffey jr had yeah i think there's like a comparison to be made there so i'm gonna go with Vladdy guerrero jr yeah those are both good picks those were like the two two names i thought of on the offensive side as well Mm -hmm. so 
Uh, why hit? I hesitate <laughs> to ask. Who is the most <laughs> underwhelming team slash player this season? The Yankees. There Can you, you believe I made a pick? The Yankees. I thought <laughs> yeah, that they. Uh, well, everyone knows who Aaron Judge is, even if you're a guy who doesn't watch baseball, and he's been he was electrifying. And then they have a handful of other stars on their team, and they're just sitting at the almost the bottom of their division. If the was it the Orioles weren't so bad, so. But I mean, you take them away, they're they're one of the worst teams in that in their division, and they just they shouldn't be. They should be a team that we should be talking about winning a World Series at least sometime soon. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen to you, yeah. Jared. Yeah, good pick. That was a that was a definitely good pick. Mm-hmm. I was so I think Blake Blake Snell is like kind of the the big pick that like a lot of people are talking about. Like he's only three and three right now. Like only like what two or three years I think removed from a Cy Young award too. Yeah. Um, traded to the Padres to like be kind of a, a heavy hitter and like be one of their top rotation guys. And he has he has his ERA is over four. Like he's he's not really holding up his end of the bargain, I guess. But my pick that I actually went with was maybe a little off the wall is the Chicago Cubs. On June 1st, they were on top of their division. Mm-hmm. And now they're eight games back and two games under 500. They had a terrible they had a terrible month. They got beat up a lot by the Brewers. Um, their stars now are aging and like their World Series core is about ready to disband. You know, mm-hmm. Chris Bryant yeah. is in a lot of trade talks. Yeah, they just traded one of my favorite players who wasn't part of the World Series core, but Jock Peterson. I, I believe they traded today mm-hmm. to the Braves. So, mm-hmm. um, they're they're disappointing. I think like really they they never even really got that close to their heights of the the World Series years since. They've been in a hangover for a long time. I feel like so they're yeah. underwhelming for me. But let's go to the uh, the Damian Lillard Award. <laughs> a great player that needs a new new team ASAP. Lucas, who do you got? So 538 actually did a really good article on this the other day, so I'm glad you, you put this out as a topic, in which they put out the guys with the highest war on losing teams and the guys with the highest war on non-playoff teams. Um, we can discuss that later if anybody's interested. But <laughs> uh, the guy that I picked um, is Kyle Gibson of the Texas Rangers, and not just because he's the highest war of anybody on a losing team, but because he's getting up there in age. And hasn't really had a great career previously. So at 33, it doesn't look like he probably has more than a few years left. But he's been, done great with the Rangers this year. He made his first ever All-Star team. He's 6-1 and one with a 2.29 ERA. He's pitching great, but he is on a horrible team. He does not have that much longer to like be good after like sort of miring in mediocrity most of his career. He was with the Twins for a while, but you know never really made a name for himself. But this year, he's done great. But if he wants to capitalize on like this brief window of opportunity for him being an all-star and being a contributing guy on a team, he needs out of Texas. Or at least out of the Dallas-Arlington metro area. He can get the Astros if he wants. Wyatt? I have two picks. And they're on the same team. We're either looking at Shohei Otani or Mike Trout, who's just been stuck in the Angels forever. Right now they sit at 45 and 44 and they're nine games back from the Astros. And without having, they have what people think is one of the best players in baseball, Mike Trout. And Otani, who is a special talent in baseball, he's he's taken over the the baseball media by storm. And they still can't find a way to win games. At least be second place, even third place in, in their division right now. So like I said, they're nine games back from the Astros. And baseball plays about 
14 games every 15 seconds, I think. So they might <laughs> at some point, you know, be a well above 500. But as of right now, they're five. They're it's 506. So they're teetering and having a losing record, you know, instead of being one of the hottest teams in baseball as they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Mariners are just playing too much good baseball. That's why. That's why they can't get in front. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many generational talents do you need? You know. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I saw a wild stat about the Angels the other day. This is only vaguely related, but the MLB draft was on Sunday. They're trying to make mm-hmm. it like an event, yeah, so they're having yeah. it during the uh, during like All Star Weekend, and they mm-hmm. drafted in the first twenty rounds of the draft. They drafted twenty pitchers. So I guess That's they crazy. identified yeah, I their, uh, oh, I their that, you know, <laughs> area of need. <laughs> really double down um, but given that it's baseball it's going to take like four years for that to even filter through so anyway. mm-hmm. yeah that's true <laughs> and then the last mid-season award we're dishing out uh the steve nash award for most unnecessary coach aiden what do you what do you got on this uh i'm going joe girardi uh former manager <laughs> of one of lucas's favorite teams and current manager of mm-hmm. lucas's other favorite team mm-hmm. um like any well just as a manager, anytime your team has blown 22 saves, as we've kind of talked about previously on the podcast, like you've, mm-hmm. you've got to come under scrutiny for your bullpen management. Um, but like just in terms of his other antics with like the whole um, telling umpires to harass Max Scherzer and then <laughs> when Scherzer, you know, kind of stared him down as a result of being challenged about his use of the spider tack and sticky substances Girardi jumped out of the dugout started to approach Scherzer waving his arms to like looking like he was going to challenge him to a fight um <laughs> that's unnecessary I'd say um so I'm, I'm gonna go with Girardi on this one hey but they didn't watch yeah. out the Phillies are only a three and a half games back of the Mets that's so. the thing uh, the NL East is bad uh but yeah. <laughs> 22 <laughs> saves and they're 44 and 44 like uh-huh. the Phillies are not a bad team. They just have an awful bullpen, which was the deal last year too, right? But like, yeah, mm-hmm. like think about if they had just blown like half of those games or just a normal amount of games, they'd be like easily in first place. So, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna Bart? go with with the um, easy answer. Surprise, surprise! Dave Roberts of yeah. the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> There's, I don't think there's any other valid answer. Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm just saying um, I could coach this team if I if I had this kind of system around me. They spend more money than any other team, like tens of millions more than any other team. And with the names that they've got, like Cody Bellinger, Trevor Bauer, Kershaw, Mookie Betts, like this team is second in the MLB. But I'm going to posit that it is not thanks to their manager at all. It's literally just because they spend so much money and they have a super talented roster. So. Honestly, my first thought, though, when I read this was all managers, because what do managers in the MLB even do, really? But he does less than most. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, you're probably right. They do do probably less than um, a, uh, a, a football coach, for sure. Probably less than a basketball coach. Yeah. But it's okay. You know what they should do? They should get the managers to stand on third base, like they like the they did in little and they do in little league yeah. baseball. That's what they have to do. Give the signs. Tell them when to steal. <laughs> All righty, we're gonna move into a segment that I'm really excited about. Uh, Marcus F, a Wisconsin native, called into the Thought Sports Hotline while we were away, and left a pretty uh, scathing remarks for Wyatt. Um, Wyatt is finally going to be challenged on some of his 
ridiculous, according to Marcus, uh, Milwaukee Bucks takes. So let's take a listen. We'll, we'll chop this up a little bit and and uh, break it down part by part. Let's take a listen to the to the first part right here. Thanks for thanks for thanks for taking my call. You're but, welcome. Uh, big fan of the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll just kind of get into it. So so the notion that Giannis is a two is is absolutely ridiculous. He has a unique skill set. That's how he became the two time MVP, uh, two time Defensive Player of the Year. He just did two forty ten games. Um, the last person to do that was Shaquille O'Neal. And do they use him poorly sometimes? Like, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but at this point, he's probably their primary ball handler, um, probably the best ball handler on the team, and that's because Dante DiVincenzo's out. Which brings me to my second point, that I don't understand how people can call this a fluke team. There were there were three teams under the East that, that were the favorites coming in to the playoffs, and that was Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Philly has Joel Embiid, who, despite being drafted in 2014, and Lucas, you know this really well, was hurt until 2016. And, and guess what? He got hurt. And Brooklyn, <laughs> they played single-digit games together in the regular season because none of them could stay healthy. None of them could stay on the court. And guess what? They got hurt. So, and then I guess we could talk about the Hawks, but, I, I, you know, the Bucks were going to beat them either way, Trey Young or, or not. And um, I've been unfortunate that he got hurt, but, it's, you know, to act like they came out of nowhere as like an eight seed or something is, is actually ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then in the same time with injuries all over the place, if you look at, you know, all these different teams, the LA Lakers, they have a 36-year-old, who has more mileage on him than any other his player in probably the history of the league. Um, Anthony Data Davis, whose nickname is Anthony Data Davis, who has an absolutely <laughs> laundry list of injuries. Kawhi Leonard, history of injuries. Jazz, um, yeah, unfortunately what happened to Donovan Mitchell. Suns, Chris Paul's old, history of injuries. So when you look at that in that context, like it's 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 a risk that these teams are taking, and the Bucks did the same thing. Dante Divincenzo is our starting point guard, and he's out for the playoffs. So therefore, instead of it's sort of next man up, we don't really have a backup point guard. It's Jeff Teague. So <laughs> Jeff Teague, who was going to be out of the league, you know, last year, earlier this year, is all of a sudden playing real minutes in the finals. On top of that, you know, last time I saw Jeff Teague, it was a uh, video on how to not have good entry passes into the post, which isn't exactly what you want in your point guard. Um, but, I mean, nobody talks about the Bulls in 2012. They were by far the best team, and then Derrick Rose got hurt. Um, LeBron obviously won his first title that year, so nobody really wants to talk about that, but fine. But in the same way that, you know, you, people are going to be like, oh, this is a fluky title, They don't. you don't get double credit for, for a harder title. Like, you don't... You don't have multiple teams winning. If, if like, zero teams this year deserve the championship, <laughs> then, I don't know, the knock on John Stockton is he never won a title in the 90s, but that was when he was playing Michael Jordan. So those were really, really hard champ- championships to, to win, but nobody nobody cares about that. All right, let's stop it right there for now. We got we obviously got, got Marcus, mm-hmm. you know, pointing out Giannis's 40 and 10 games. The fact that every every team, like, dealing with injuries is part of the game. Wyatt, what's what are some of your responses or any narrative you want to kind of bring up right now? I'm sorry, what what was the question? Just what what's your response? What's your response? What are what is how you defend <clears throat> your claims about the Bucks and Yon? Okay, well, I'll start by saying that I've been the hardest critic of the Bucks. So I'll be the first person to give them their flowers. They've played a lot better than since when I've made my comments about the Bucks, especially when I <laughs> mentioned 
that Giannis might not be a number one. Or and I still don't think that he's a true number one, but he's at least a one B. And you know, his, <laughs> his, oh my gosh, we'll get to one A eventually. You can get to one A eventually. He's not a number two. I mean, he scores forty points. It, it he can take over a game in ways that he hadn't shown before, at least so far in the playoffs. Because we are talking about a team that had several blowout losses against both Brooklyn. Uh, and a pretty bad loss against Atlanta as well. And I think that they're still, they can go as far as Chris Middleton can go because he is, he's just as important and he's our closer. But that's why I put, that's why I put Giannis at one B. But, oh my gosh. But I'll admit that I was wrong about him being a number two because he looks a lot better than what he did before. And here, here's my, here's to piggyback off of Marcus, I guess. Is that you, you talk about like people talk about where you're going to get a bucket from Giannis in the half court, right? Not only can he get you a bucket in the half court, which he showed you uh, time and time again in this series, as well as game seven of the Nets series. Uh, not only can he get you a bucket, but he'll get you a block on the other end. Obviously, ESPN was like really hyping up his block on DeAndre Ayton at the end of the game when he like re- the greatest recovery recovery you'll ever see. But he also had that inbound steal off of DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton as well mm-hmm. as a steal on Chris Paul in the final minutes. Like, he was he was everywhere. And and he can do so much and affect the game in so many ways just because it looks different doesn't mean it's it's bad, you know? Okay, but I want to respond to that because okay. the problem, the problem, the conversation I was trying to have about Giannis <laughs> is not that he is a bad player. He's a two-time MVP. He's a defensive player of the year. He's in the finals. It's that they don't use him in the way that he should be used. They don't, he can't take the ball from the top of the key. He shouldn't be shooting a three pointer five seconds in the shot clock. The way he's playing now is far more efficient and far better than what he had shown before. I think he has a signature move and I think it's a sky hook. He's been, he's gone to it several times so far in this playoffs and it's worked for him, but it's not a fadeaway, and it's not a three pointer. And, but he kept trying to do it. And that's the problem when he gets the ball in the post and he dominates in transition and he shoots in the paint. He's unstoppable. He's far more physical, impose, physically imposing than anybody that the Suns can put out there, even DeAndre Ayton. But having him, one, I disagree that he's their best ball handler. He's just the guy that they give the ball because he's not a point. <laughs> he's not a point forward. He's a power forward, and he should be playing in the paint. He he can pass a little bit, I suppose, but that should not be his role in this offense. All right, let's listen. Let's listen to the second half of Marcus's uh, of Marcus's uh, recording real quick. That's all I'll say. You know, banners fly forever. Um, I don't. At this point, yeah, I don't like Coach Bud as much as the next person. But we kind of missed our window on Rick Carlisle. Would have loved to get Rick Carlisle. Went to the Mavs. But I, I, if we lost and fired Coach Bud, one, I don't know who we would get. And two, what the point? What's the point of getting better? We haven't had a Milwaukee hasn't had a championship in fifty years. I, I think, I think we'll we'll let bygones be bygones and and uh, and go ahead and take the the ring. Um, in terms of the series specifically, I don't understand how anybody who's neutral can can like the Suns. All they do is flop, complain, wanted the refs. People want to want to know why ratings are down. Um, oh. Sure, it could be a lack of star power, but also the games become you know, pretty unwatchable. For, for stints because of all the flopping. It's not real basketball. I mean, you can look at what happened in 
FIBA with the U.S. <laughs> players, and you can watch some of those clips on how badly the U.S. players are flopping, and, and it looks ridiculous in that context. So would love to see that out of the game, and that's kind of the Suns' MO. Like Chris Paul has made a career on doing that kind of stuff. Um, and finally, Jared, I think you're, you're 100% right about the narrative. Thank you. Um, and why, you know, the marketability of these players or the, the, how the NBA chooses to not market them. You have Giannis, who grew up dirt poor in Greece. He, they were so poor. Him and Thanasis, once they, Giannis got good enough where he could play up age levels with his brother, they couldn't be on the court at the same time because they had to switch out pairs of shoes. They only had one pair of shoes between them. And now he's, you know, two MVPs later, signs the biggest deal in the history of the nba he has a chance to win the nba title and and somehow you know espn rather show clips of brawny on their front page <laughs> than talk about the Bucks um during the regular season the nba hates so small that, markets that, that, i mean same thing with nikola Jokic comes from war-torn serbia these these are these are some of the greatest stories not just in basketball but in in american society and and people rather talk about you know Space Jam or LeBron's hairline. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so it's all to say, in my lifetime, well, since two thousand, in two thousand and two thousand one, the Bucks went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then after that, until two years ago, had never made it past the first round. So it was inconceivable when I was growing up that they'd ever be in this position, and and I really really hope they they pull it out. Um, but great win last night, and, and I think even independent of the last couple of games, um, they were all around just bad takes that were, <laughs> that were being thrown around uh, about my Bucks. So, go Bucks. Awesome. Bucks and six. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that, Marcus. If you're listening, I know you are listening. I appreciate that. All right, so let's unpack a couple of stuff. First, are the Phoenix Suns unwatchable because of how much they flop? Or, or do you think do you think like it's a valid point that the, the Phoenix Suns flop a lot and complain to the refs? No, <clears throat> really, I don't I think? Well, first of all, it's NBA basketball, and and we can tell the difference between NBA basketball and <clears throat> just because the the Olympics are going on right now, world basketball is different. <laughs> that the refs are giving them those whistles, and the Suns are a smart team, and they know how to manipulate that. I don't think that's a problem. I don't. Well, yeah, I was gonna say. I, I don't think they're like unique in doing yeah. it. Like I think it's like, like I don't think they're like uniquely unwatchable. Like you watch Trey Young play, you watch James Harden play. Oh, yeah. Like they like will lean into guys as they go and, to shoot and get calls. And like I think that's an issue, but I don't think like it makes the Suns necessarily like this like uniquely hateable team because they do it because like most people do it. And I they also play more team basketball than anybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. It was in the playoffs before, or obviously is right now. They play complete team basketball. They pass the ball. They find the open man. And if you don't like team basketball and you'd rather watch star power, star power, then you should have been rooting for the Brooklyn Nets this entire season. Marcus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't complain. Okay, so let's go into that, though. He didn't complain about lack of star power. Mm. He was saying the NBA doesn't, for some reason, doesn't choose to just eat up these narratives that are like rags to riches stories or, you know, just like kind of, the struggle to get to the top and these players doing it. Why isn't the NBA like taking hold of that? I thought that was like a pretty good point about that. And I, I was, that was never uh, something I really considered. Anybody else have thoughts on that? 
I think if you're talking about Giannis and Jokic, it's maybe because they're both international, so it's like less relatable for like an American audience. Which like I don't necessarily. But Luca, agree Luca's with. really popular, and he's European, and he's is he not relatable? Yeah, I don't like. I don't know. Like that was just my first instinct, but I have no real reason to like claim that like the NBA wouldn't want to do that because I think they should. I think it's an interesting story. They just think it's like so much of the narratives of the league are like star driven like i don't know why these aren't two stars that have like caught on in yeah. ways that like luca has or yeah i mean it i don't know like i think it's just a position thing with the nba and like what's a sexy position at the moment in terms mm. of luca and well but like those are guys taking threes at the end of regulation and stuff like that whereas big guys don't get that attention in the nba at the moment which Jokic yep. falls under that umbrella I, and Giannis falls under that and they do have great stories and i think mark is totally right there but like they could totally, you know, like capitalize on that and talk about the fact that these are these are really interesting, unique stories, and yeah, they're they're missed out on just because you know they're maybe not as um, fitting into the you know buzzer beater kind of narrative that um, some of the other guys are. I don't know. They also they don't bring that that up themselves very often. I've heard Giannis mm-hmm. tell the story about him uh, switching shoes with his brother. And I know that he comes from a very poor family. And I know we know that Jokic is from Serbia, but they don't talk about it themselves. So ESPN, it would feel definitely very out of place, I believe, for ESPN to bring that up on their own. And if Giannis wasn't already having that conversation. I mean, they're pretty low key guys, both of them, you know, like they're they're both kind of reserved, it seems like. And, you know, they're they're about about basketball about playing for it and i do think it is the responsibility or not even just the responsibility but it's in the best interest of the league and of you know sports media companies to tell those stories then i don't mm-hmm. think it's the onus is necessarily on Giannis or, or Jokic or you know whoever to do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. agreed okay here's a we can get to some other narratives that people might want to push but here's a question i want to ask is chris paul unraveling under the pressure yet again like like what is like no we you think about them uh the clippers blowing a 3-1 lead while he was there the rockets blowing a 3-2 lead over the warriors right obviously he had the hamstring injury in that series but is this like becoming like a worrying trend like what's kind of what's going on there with him no i'm not gonna buy into him unraveling again and him just having an inability to perform because he has shown an ability to perform so far in these plays, especially uh-huh. big elimination games against, um, I think it was the Denver and the Lakers. So, I mean, they, they show an ability to play well. And I think maybe he's just too smart for his own good. And he tries to get too many people involved because I think the biggest secret for Chris Paul is he just has to be more aggressive and he has to get hot earlier. He had a really bad first half in a non-existent uh-huh. second half of game four. And, that's kind of hard to now all of a sudden catch fire in the last five minutes of the game. Occasionally, Chris Paul will have a game where he, he turns the ball over several times. We've not, we've seen it all throughout his entire career. So I believe that he's going to be able to bounce back because, one, not he's the smartest guy on the court. Devin Booker is a scorer, and Monty Williams is a good coach, and I think that he can take confidence in having those other things around him, at least this time around. Before, Mike D'Antoni was a good coach, but James Harden did not want to play with him, pretty much. James Harden didn't want to pass the ball. Blake Griffin, I don't think that they very much liked each other either. 
But I think this actually is the first time that he can say, I have a real team around me. At least one that he enjoys to be with. Yeah, a, a couple things I want to add. So, for one thing, I don't remember exactly what the records were, but the Bucks are significantly better in these playoffs at home. So it's not surprising at all that they went home and won both games, even after losing the first two in Phoenix. So mm-hmm. it's like Phoenix still has home court advantage right now. So mm-hmm. they could very well go back and win the series with ease. Um, but also, <laughs> I think people might be overreacting about Chris Paul a little bit because he had terrific game one and game two. Is Game three, he was mm-hmm. also like pretty good, yeah. right? Yeah. It was just mm-hmm. game four that he was like yeah. a little bit off for whatever reason. But they're mm-hmm. going to go back to Phoenix. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up like a 30 or a 40 bombard on Saturday. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be worried about him once again dropping the ball if they go down 3-2 and he has another bad game. Maybe then, but I think right now it's not warranted yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like one like off game is acceptable. and It wasn't even like a horrendous yeah. game. I mean, he wasn't great, obviously, but like, yeah. I don't know. I think that's allowed. <laughs> Agree. Any other narratives that people want to bring up about the NBA Finals before we move on? Uh, no. Well, I'm going to respond to one thing Marcus said. Nobody <laughs> gets double credit for a championship because championships are less than or equal to one, not mm-hmm. greater than or equal to one. So yeah. you can have a championship that means a little bit less because of an easy path. <laughs> Or you can have one just like, oh, it's a good championship. But you don't get double feel, credit for it. But I feel like even those narratives are lost pretty immediately, though. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. like yeah. nobody, yeah. Could, nobody with Kawhi, like, brings up, like, oh, Kawhi's championship, like, is invalid because the Warriors were, like, all injured when he played them. So, like, well, it's like a top now. the Warriors championships. Yeah, when exactly. When Kyrie and Kevin Love were injured. Yeah, so I, mean, I feel like it just gets, like, lost, like, so quickly. And, like, the narrative that, like, well, it's the talk of, like, NBA basketball now that, like, you know, it's somehow invalid. Like, these playoffs don't matter. I don't think, like, honestly, if you come back to this even, like, four or five months from now, like, anybody's going to be talking about it. No. If, like, Giannis gets his first title and, like, there's that whole narrative where Chris Paul, like, puts the cap on his career winning it, like, those narratives will pretty quickly take over and we'll forget all about yeah. the injuries. Outside yeah. of the context of, like, it was bad that we only had, like, a 70-day off season, so yeah. we got injured. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those lines are added to Giannis or Chris Paul's resume. And, like, that's mm-hmm. what we're going to see, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years from now. That's what's going to be, like, a, oh, he won a championship. Like, that's what's going to matter. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to I wanted to point out. The range of opinions on Giannis is so huge. It's so, it's it, it, it baffles me, kind of. So two weeks ago, I was listening to Chris Broussard on, Colin, on The Herd telling us that NBA execs thought Giannis was a two, right? So, like, why isn't it was not alone in, in that uh, sentiment? Mm-hmm. Now, like, literally two or three days ago, I heard Nick Wright on The Herd saying that if the Bucks win the finals, Giannis must be crowned as the greatest player in the NBA right now. The, 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 the range of opinions are so big right now. I mean, Giannis does have a good case. Yeah, I, I wouldn't the, say I necessarily disagree there. The range of opinions are just, like, is bigger with Giannis than it is for any other player it seems like mm-hmm. well yeah I mean it's what I said before the way they use him now versus the way they used him before is is dramatically different he can't he's I never believed that he should be a guy who shoot who should shoot who should shoot, shoot threes same as Zion I don't believe Zion should be a guy who just shoots threes all the time but he yeah. should be a good post player and he should work with that he should, I think at the very least, Giannis should work on his fadeaway and obviously is not relevant in this series because he's just more physically imposing. But he should just have a good post game, be able to shoot from the elbow and call good there. 
he doesn't need to shoot threes. But everybody wanted him to shoot threes, and that was the problem. I didn't think he was number two because he couldn't shoot threes. I just thought he was number two because he tried to shoot threes, and he just couldn't do it. All right, well, fair enough. That's We're going to put a pin in that. That's going to conclude this episode. Thank you for listening. Please go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Instagram especially, which is where we do most of our engagement. And, you know, if you have some opinions that you want to get onto the show, maybe you can be like Marcus and, and get them on the show. So go ahead and engage with us. Subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about our dream sports vacations and assign some NBA offseason homework. <laughs>